Welcome to the All People's Church podcast. We believe in loving God, strengthening families, and developing leaders. We are so excited for you to hear this life-changing message recorded live at one of our worship experiences. Remember to share and subscribe to this podcast and enjoy the message. Uh, But listen, I'm excited to get into tonight. We're gonna dive into the Gospel of Matthew. You know that we have been in our study of Matthew for the last two to three years. And so, um, and that's not a joke. If you're watching us for the first time, I'm not joking. We really have been, we really have been in there for, um, man, two to three years. I, I don't know what episode this is, but maybe like 80, I don't know, 80 something. Anyone know? No? Yeah. Anyways. Um, okay. So last week we kicked off Matthew 24, the scary chapter that is titled the end times chapter. In Matthew 24, where Jesus begins to talk about um, what is happening. Now, remember, we are in the middle of what people call Passion Week, right? This is the last week of Jesus before he is crucified. Matthew 24 probably takes place later on, on that Tuesday. And so that's kind of where we're at. Uh, Jesus is doing very important things. He's bringing correction uh, to some of the false uh, teachers, uh, some of the hypocrites um, who uh, say certain things but live a different way. And uh, rather than making it um, clear and easy to come to God, they make it difficult and they put on burdens on other individuals, on other people. And um, how many know that... uh, in, in Christ, um, there is no burden, right? Uh, now, that doesn't mean that uh, there is freedom to live however you want. Hello? Uh, our life with Jesus, um, the aim of it is so that we look like Jesus, we live like him, right? And that is supposed to be the goal of why we spend time with him. And so a Wednesday night is designed, again, to slow down, Right? in the crazy hurried world you and I live in, right? So I'm not sure what your day has looked like. I'm not sure what the starting of this week has looked like. Um, But if you're any normal person in North America, I'm sure it's been hurried, right? Um, From this thing to that thing. And I'm sure it takes even a moment um, as you're listening to my words to just settle down and go, okay, focus here. Not what needs to get done, what's tomorrow, just be present, be focused. And so um, Wednesday nights are designed to do that, to help us slow down in the word of God because I believe there's no better place to slow down. And um, it is, it is life-changing. And so um, that's what we are here to do. Now, last week, remember we took um, the strong challenge to actually remain in the context, right? To remain in the context of Matthew 24, that Jesus is speaking to a specific people about a specific issue, right? So anytime we open these pages, remember we're having a cross-cultural experience. We have to remember that we cannot go straight to application. We have to ask the questions, what is going on here? Who is being spoken to? Who are the main people involved? What is taking place? And after we do that, we can eventually begin to build a bridge that goes to application and to our time today. So last week, we talked about the destruction of the temple, 
right? We talked about the war, uh, about a four-year war um, that was finalized 70 AD that marked the destruction, the total destruction of the temple. And how many remember it was a horrific moment? Horrific moment. Now, remember I said to you, um, the, the mistake a lot of times people make is they read this chapter and they go future, right? They totally go to the end without actually giving time and study to the immediate context, right? And so we looked at the immediate context, but if you remember, I also told you that there is in the word of God this duality. There is an overlap, right? Jesus uh, says to his audience, hey, the kingdom of God is here. But how many know the kingdom of God is still coming? So there's an overlap. It's here, but it's not yet. It's going to come still. And so there is an overlap between this age and the age to come. And it's the same thing as we go to the prophecy in, in um, Matthew 24, as Jesus is prophetically uh, telling the disciples, here is what to come. And uh, Jesus's words, how many know, will be fulfilled. Amen. Right? He predicted his own death and resurrection, and he died and he was raised. And so he is he is accurate. We can trust in him. In fact, um, we can trust him so much that in verse 35, he actually says, hey, listen, heaven and earth are gonna pass away, but my words, um, they're never gonna pass away. Uh, they're going to be here forever, right? And so even in that, we have to remember that Jesus is our God. He's our Lord. He's our savior. Uh, but he's also our teacher, and sometimes what we do is uh, for the sake of uh, not neglecting his lordship, we skip over the teacher. We go, yeah, he's the teacher, but he's also lord, right? But I, I want us to make sure that we give um, appropriate emphasis to each aspect of Jesus in our life. Jesus cannot just be your savior. He cannot just be your God. He also must be your teacher. You must come under his, his, his teaching, and you must learn from him. He, he must be your rabbi because that's the part that affects your day-to-day -day life. Did you know that? Jesus as your teacher is the part of Jesus that affects your day-to-day -day living. Yeah, uh, Jesus as your savior saves you. Eternity secured, right? This is eternal life that they may know the one you have sent. You know Jesus, you're saved. Eternity secured. Jesus as your God uh, removes the, the, the complexity of the idols within your heart. It solves that issue. But then how do I live day to day as Jesus on earth? Well, you gotta let him be your teacher. You have to learn from him. Hey, take my yoke upon you. Hey, learn from me. He must be your teacher. He must be your teacher. Uh, an ancient um, Jewish blessing during the times of Jesus was this. May you wear the dust of your rabbi. So, so what does it mean to allow Jesus to be your teacher? It's to wear his dust. Just let that, let that image just wash over you for a moment. 
You are so close in proximity, watching, learning, listening, observing, mirroring, taking upon his character that you're wearing his dust. Man, that's my prayer. I pray that we would wear his dust. Amen. Amen. And so um, there is the duality. And so we're gonna get into, so last week we talked about um, how Matthew 24 affects uh, the days and times of the disciples. Tonight, we're gonna get into uh, how it's going to affect um, us and our future. So now we're gonna talk about uh, not just the age that was and the age that is, we're gonna talk about the age to come. We're gonna talk about the age to come. So turn with me in Matthew 24. How are we doing so far? We doing all right? Yeah, you doing okay? You focused? Yeah? All right, good. Matthew 24, we're going to read from 35 and finish this chapter. Um, And then we're going to have some fun. We are going to have some fun. All right, you there with me? Why don't you stand? Let's just stand for the reading of God's word tonight as we honor him. All right. Here's what the Bible says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. All right, verse 36, there is a clear, distinct shift of topics. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Let's pause. Remember the disciples asked him two questions, right? When will these things happen relating to what? The destruction of the temple. And when are you coming? What, are, what is going to be the sign of the end of the age, right? So now he's answering the second question. No one knows, not even the angels, nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, okay, so now you have to know the story of Noah. We're gonna get into that. So will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. Then... They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. And this is, uh, this is a passage that gets confused, but we'll bring clarity to this. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, one left. Two men or two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have had stayed awakened and would not have let his house been broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready. For the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? He says, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if the wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day where he does not expect and at an hour what he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and will put him with the hypocrites. Now, who are the last people Jesus called hypocrites that we can think of? the scribes, the Pharisees, and the lawyers in the temple, right? In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of 
teeth, yes. Okay, let's pray because we're gonna need the Lord for this one. Well, Heavenly Father, we invite you into our midst. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we come under your word, your authority as your students tonight. God, we submit our hearts, our minds, and our lifestyles to you, to your authority, to your rule, to your reign. So Holy Spirit, be our teacher tonight. Lead us, guide us into all truth. Lord, um, let the reality of who you are be saturated in our thoughts. Let it be saturated in our thoughts. Our aim is to be honest with your word and our aim is to glorify you in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, If you haven't said hi to anyone, uh, would you say hi to somebody around you? Just welcome them. Okay, here is what we are going to do. All right, so when Jesus is teaching here, I, I have a video, I don't think I'm gonna show it, but I'll just illustrate, I'll just illustrate this video for you. Um, the James Webb Telescope is a brilliant telescope NASA uses uh, to look into uh, space and just discover the um, beyond comprehension uh, uh, things that have been put in place by our God. That's the best way to put it. Uh, there is this video that shows a time lapse of um, the James Webb Telescope just zooming in and going almost through uh, stars and planets and galaxies, eventually arriving to uh, what they have coined the Cartwheel Galaxy. It is, it's beautiful, it's phenomenal. You can look it up in your own time. Um, and so there's it, just this video of just, it's, it's zooming past um, just a bunch, millions and millions and millions of stars and planets and other galaxies to get to this one epic point. And then the video just zooms back out. And I wanted to use that as an illustration to show you um, the telescopic nature of Jesus's prophecy. That Jesus's prophecy is telescopic in nature in that he he is speaking of the age that he is speaking in He is speaking of the age that is coming and he is speaking of the age that is to come. His his prophetic words in Matthew 24 are telescopic in nature, meaning that that they mean this to that current audience, but they also have met something throughout church history. We have seen his words be fulfilled during the time and the lives of the disciples when they were alive. We have seen his words be fulfilled throughout church history and we will see his words be fulfilled future to come. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, you zoom in with that telescope, you see this right now, but you keep zooming in and then you see some other things, you keep zooming in and then you see some other things until finally you get to this glorious conclusion. Does that make sense? And so um, the question then is for you and I as readers of the New Testament in 2024, well, how do you find out what age Jesus is talking about? How do you find out what's gonna happen when? Hello? And so I am going to show you that we actually have an answer in the writings of Paul. But before we get there, What we're going to do is we're just going to do um, just a quick study of the rest of this chapter, and then uh, we will uh, go to Paul for some assistance, right? 
Now, uh, Paul, was not al- Paul was not around during the time of Jesus. Hello? But when Jesus saved Paul, we know from the writings of Paul, Jesus himself, Paul tells us, has taught Paul. How cool is that? Right? And so Jesus has revealed things to Paul. We're gonna see uh, Paul is going to use the same language Jesus uses in Matthew 24. Like how? Well, the Holy Spirit has taught Paul, right? And so uh, we're gonna find that out. But before we do that, let's jump through this text and just get a good understanding of what the rest of this chapter, what the rest of this chapter um, says. So a couple of things we're gonna cover today. The rest of this chapter, we're gonna understand the telescopic nature of Jesus' prophecy. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit about um, does this, does this chapter and even the teachings of Paul support the rapture um, and what must happen before the coming of Jesus? So uh, buckle in, it's gonna be fun. Amen? Amen? <laughs> All right, um, let's do this. <laughs> so Matthew 35, which I've already given some commentary on, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, this is, this is why the words of Jesus are so incredibly important. So, so incredibly important. One of the greatest things you can do is commit yourself to memorizing the words of Jesus because heaven and earth are gonna pass away, but you will remember his word, right? And so do not forsake the word of Jesus. Now, here's what I love about this because we're gonna talk about some of the things um, tonight, uh, because in in the next verse, in the next verse, in the next verse, right? He says this, um, but concerning that day, what's that day? The coming of Jesus, right? Um, That day and hour, what does he say? Okay, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. Oh, that's interesting. Nor the son, right? But the father only. So this is, this is a fascinating thing. I find it fascinating. I hope you will too. Um, what's so fascinating about this is um, Jesus, how many know, is God. Hello? That's not a surprise. He, he is God. He can do all things that God can do because he is the exact imprint. He is the very nature of the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There, there is no more of God beyond Jesus. Hear what I just said. There, there is no more of God beyond Jesus. If you know Jesus, you know God. Does that make sense? Now, here's what I love. Uh, Jesus uh, can do so many different things, um, and yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, we see a limitation is placed on him. We see a limitation that is placed on him. We know Jesus can heal, right? He can walk on water. Uh, he can uh, do so many things. Post-resurrection, he can go through walls, right? Um, and yet here, he says, um, yeah, no one knows. No one knows. Not the angels, um, not me, but only the Father. Now, let's just, I'm just gonna make a quick little side note and then we'll go back into context. Now, um, we live in a world where people will look at us and go, hey, how do you still follow this ancient writing that is written by men over 2,000 years ago and you still follow it 
as if it was the word of God. Now, um, here's, here's, here's the point of this. Here's what we ought to just catch very briefly. If men were writing about a superhero named Jesus who could do all things, I promise you they wouldn't put limitations on him. And yet God in his wisdom uh, keeps things in his word that might confuse us. God in his wisdom keeps in his word things that are a mystery to us. Because that's God. God has preserved his word. Uh, what you can trust in about the Bible is, hey, uh, if Jesus said it, it's there. And it's there because Jesus said it, not because we have to understand it. So Matthew, as he's writing this, he's not thinking, hey, uh, everyone in my audience is gonna be thrown for a loop. Let me just remove this. No, 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 he says, no, this is what Jesus said. I'm gonna put it in there. If it causes confusion, it causes confusion. But this is the word of God. Now, a man-made tale about a superhero, right, who died and rose again would leave this part out. If I, if I was writing this story, I promise you, I would have left this out. Jesus going into his, into his own hometown and not being able to heal people, I would have left that part out. I don't know, we can't put that in there. No, no, but the word of God is true to the story and the life of Jesus because Jesus existed within the context of human history. Right? And so the writers of the New Testament don't forego uh, certain things that God says simply because it might confuse our readers. It's what he said, so it's in there. Now here's the second part. The second part is... Um, <laughs> Uh, in regards to the second coming, um, could you imagine the disciples go, hey, Jesus, you can walk on water? Yeah, I can walk on water. Jesus, can you heal the sick? Yeah, I can heal the sick. Can you raise the dead? I can raise the dead. Uh, do you know when you're coming back? Nah, I don't know when I'm coming back. Right? And then, and here's what we do. Here's what we do. Uh, Jesus says, I don't know. We go, we know. <laughs> Figure that one out. Jesus goes, hey, when are you coming back? Um, I don't know. We go, we know. Yeah, it's going to happen uh, 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 during these times and, you know, Russia invading Ukraine and that symbolizes this and, and that's the beast going into and the locusts attacking. The, and, right? And the locusts are the helicopters that, like, you guys remember when uh, um, the whole Saddam Hussein thing happened and uh, people thought Saddam Hussein was the Antichrist? And America invading Iraq was a prophecy out of Jer Jeremiah, uh, uh, I forget which chapter, where Babylon gets invaded by locusts and chariots and Babylon gets defeated and they go, see, this is America invading, invading Iraq, which is Babylon and, and, the, and the helicopters with the missiles, they're the locusts and it's like, what? Right? Um, if you remember when, when Barack Obama came into office, people said, he's the Antichrist. Yeah? I told you about the book that was written in uh, uh, 1967. Uh, it was called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. And then that didn't happen, so he released another book for the following year, uh, 89 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1989. And then that didn't happen either. Because Jesus goes, no one knows. And then we go, we know. And so that's why the words of Jesus are so important. He says, hey, stay close to my words. Because you will have the tendency to be deceived. Many are going to rise up and go, we know, we know, we know, we know. Right? And they're going to begin to interpret the word of God. And it's, it's going to mean something totally different 
from what it meant to the original audience. Hello? And so you have all these crazies on, on, on TV, on YouTube, writing books, and people have made millions by deceiving people. And so we have to stay close to the words of Jesus. Here's the reality. If you read the word of God for the word of God without listening to the opinions of other people, you would have never come to those conclusions. The reason you come to certain conclusions about the word of God and end time prophecy is because you have heard someone say those things. And the reality is if you just read it with the Holy Spirit, you would never have come to that conclusion. Right? Uh, People thought Ronald Reagan was the antichrist. You remember that? Uh, Because Ronald has six letters. Reagan has six letters. Guess what his middle name was? Wilson also has six letters. I could, I could just go into so many things, church. We could, just, we could do a whole night of just talking about all these times people tried to prophesy and predict the second coming, the Antichrist, things of the end, end times, and Jesus goes, hey, no one knows. No one knows. Um, and we have to learn to embrace the mystery. Um, there, one of the things that I love about Christianity is that it leaves room for mystery. If you can answer every question that life throws at you, uh, please come and teach me because I can't find the solutions to every problem of life in the word. There are some things God does not answer. There are some times where God is silent. And he goes, hey, I'm just gonna be with you. Right? When Jesus says, I'm, when, when, when the psalmist says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, guess what he's not saying? He's going to fix the broken heart. No, he says, no, I'm just going to sit with you because you're broken. <laughs> and we're going to journey through this together until you're healed. That's just the word. And so I am weary of individuals who look at end time scripture, um, for example, the book of Revelation, and they go, hey, I know exactly what this means. If, If someone can, with specific detail, explain everything in the book of Revelation, I promise you they are stretching truth somewhere. I promise you. Because there are certain things that you just cannot explain. (laughs) <laughs> you go, you have to go, I don't know what that means. But I don't need to know. We're gonna find out tonight, there are certain things that even God reveals to the apostles that the apostles did not reveal to us. And you go, why? Because uh, God is wise. <laughs> right? Oh, why in the nature of the Trinity, as Jesus is on earth, did God choose to not reveal to not reveal to the humanity of Jesus this date because he's wise why did god restrict himself because he's wise that is god's wisdom to not go oh here is when i'm coming right and we're going to get into um, the letter of, uh, that Paul writes to the Thessalonians because that's what they thought and the life just became a disaster for them. How are we doing so far? Good? Okay, we got a bunch of stuff to do, so let's move on. Stop slowing me down. I'm trying to, I just like, all right. Um, 
the father knows only four, as it were in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the son of man. So uh, quick, time, quick story time, what happened in the days of Noah? The flood happened. That's like the main thing, absolutely. Who was Noah? Right, he was, he's just a man that God found was righteous um, amongst the people who weren't. And God says, hey, you have favor with me. And so God chooses him um, to build an ark during a time where there's no rain, right? That's confusing, you know what I mean? Um, and so that's the story of Noah. He says, he says, hey, this is gonna happen during the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, what's gonna happen, Jesus? Uh, well, let's continue. Uh, he says, for as in those days before the flood, before the flood, before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, and giving in marriage. Now, what does that mean? They're just living life, right? No worry, no concern. I'm just, I'm just living life. I'm just cruising, man, right? Um, until the day when Noah entered the ark. So what happened then? Then when they were unaware until the flood came and what happened? Their unawareness caused them to be swept away. Right? So Jesus says, he says, so will be the coming of the son of man. People are gonna be unaware and they're going to be swept away. So then he begins to explain. Two men in the field, one will be taken, one will be left. Two women grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know when the Lord is, is coming. Okay, um, rapture? No, right? Because who in Noah's story gets taken? Think about it. So who, who got taken? Ah. So, so Noah and his family enter the ark, right? Where they stay. Everyone else gets swept away, right? So it is the unrighteous not the righteous that get taken away, right? And so the theory of the rapture is, hey, the righteous, they're gonna be saved before uh, the tribulation, before the times of distress and before persecution comes, God is gonna come and snatch up and they go, see, one's gonna be in the field, one's gonna be taken away. No, 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 read, read the context, church. He's, he's talking about that it's gonna come in such a way that those who are not prepared Gone. Let's continue. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know uh, what day the Lord is coming. Let's run through this. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake because he wouldn't have allowed his house to be broken into. In other words, if you know the hour, you're just constantly gonna be waiting for it. Right? You're not gonna be living life. Watch this. What does it mean to live life? Okay, therefore you must be ready. So the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is faithful and wise? Okay, so here is what it means to live life before the coming of Jesus. It means to be a faithful and wise servant. That's what it means. How does Jesus expect you to live before his return? He expects you to be faithful and to be wise and to be a servant. That's it. It's that simple. 
the faithful and wise. Be faithful and wise. So here's the question. What does it look like to be faithful and wise? What does it look like to be faithful and wise? We're gonna come back to that. Um, Whom his master sent over the household to give them their food at the proper uh, time. He continues, right? Blessed is that servant whom his master will notice. Find so doing when he comes. God wants you, when he comes, God wants to find you doing things. All right, occupy till I come. He wants you not to be idle. We're gonna find out the problem with the Thessalonians is that they were being idle. So he wants you to be faithful. He wants you to be wise. He wants you to live a life that is faithful to him. And yet it is, it is wise in understanding the days in which you live. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all possessions. Now, what is this? Is this present or is this future? It's future, right? Jesus says, hey, you're going to rule and reign with me. In the age to come, right? If you're faithful, if you endure to the end, you're going to rule and reign with me. So what is he promising? He's saying, hey, if you are a wise and faithful servant until I come back, guess what? I'm going to give you my possessions to rule over. You're gonna rule and reign with Jesus. How good is that? And he says, but, but, the wicked servant says to himself, ah, my master is delayed. He doesn't look like he's coming back anytime soon. What does he do? He begins to beat his fellow servants and he eats and he drinks with the drunkards. In other words, he goes into this careless life, right? Allowing his character to be corrupted. He is now violent and hateful right? Not wise, not faithful. And the master of that servant will come on the day when he does not expect, nor the hour that he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. Now, what does cut him in pieces mean? Is Jesus talking literally here or figuratively? Right. So cutting him in pieces is a form of judgment. In other words, you will be judged, right? Because the next, the next sentence is he's going to put him with the hypocrites. Well, if he's cut up, how can he be put with the hypocrites? Hello? In the placing where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. If he's cut up, how will, be, well, how will he be weeping? And you understand? So that is a form of judgment. Now, watch this. He says, with the hypocrites. We're gonna come back to that. Someone say we're gonna come back to that. All right, notice, in that place. So there's a physical and literal place for those who are the unrighteous swept away and taken away. For the wicked servants who are unaware, who do not live faithfully to Jesus, who, who do not live wise in the days and the circumstances of uh, their life, and who do not live as servants. There is a physical and literal place that Jesus has for them. The Bible calls this an eternal separation from the presence and the glory of God. It is a place that was originally created for the enemy, the devil, and his angels. But guess what? Those who now reject God are also going to be put there. Right? Now, what does that place represent? Because here's the question. Well, how can a loving God send people to hell? Right? How can a loving God, if God is loving, how can he send people to hell? And here's the reality. Um, if God does not 
uh, then his love is not just. For God must both be love and just. Hello? Uh, For if he is to just love and not be just, it's not true love. Hello? Right? And here's the reality. The reality is the Bible tells us, this is why it's the language of the Bible is so important. For God so loved the world that he sent. For God so loved the world. Um, How can a loving God send people to hell? Well, let me tell you what a loving God did 2,000 years ago by sending his son who lived a perfect life and took all of your sin and judgment on the cross, dying a criminal's death. My question is, how can a depraved humanity not see that kind of love? Hello? See, our problem is that we are not able to recognize what true love looks like. And true love was demonstrated 2,000 years ago on the cross. Are you with me? Right? And secondly, what God does in terms of eternal separation from his presence is a result of what people have chosen in their own heart. Um, One preacher of old said it this way, there is no one who will go to hell. No one in hell. Right? Um, who will think they don't deserve to be there? Now, um, I'm going off a little bit on a rabbit trail, but uh, you remember the parable uh, that Jesus gives of um, the man who uh, gets sent to hell? Right? You remember that? Um, what was his name? Was it Lazarus? The rich, was it the rich man? The rich man. Um, the rich man and Lazarus, yeah. And um, he, gets, he gets sent there. Um, do you notice that he never argues for why he's there? All he says is, can you just let me go warn my brothers? So, so no one in hell is going to think they belong in heaven. No one. Why? Because you will know the true nature of your heart. You know you're there because you have rejected him in your heart. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, let's continue um, because we have to do this. Okay, that was the last verse. How are we doing so far? We made it. We made it. That's chapter 24. All right, guys, let's go home. Uh, Okay, here's what we're going to do because we talked about the telescoping nature of of the prophecy of Jesus in Matthew 24. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're actually going to turn to uh, 2 Thessalonians um, and uh, we're going to learn from the writings of Paul. How does that sound? Sound okay? Are we doing all right? Okay. Um, Do-do-do-do. do 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 do
chapter two, okay? Now, let me just give you some context of 2 Thessalonians. Um, the context is, and maybe I can read a little bit of 1 Thessalonians uh, for you so that you understand, but basically the context is this. In chapter three of 2 Thessalonians, um, Paul talks about the reason for his writing that letter. And the reason is uh, because these people have heard of the second coming of Jesus. They think it's already happened because they are going through a time of tribulation. And Paul says, hey, uh, the tribulation that you're going through is actually a sign of God's judgment. It's not the sign of the second coming. And he says, hey, listen, some of you, here's what you have started doing. Uh, You've stopped going to work. You've started mooching off other people who are going to work. And you're, rather than being busy with, with, with work, you're just busy bodies. Not doing anything. And so Paul writes to these individuals because in 1 Thessalonians, he talks about the coming of Jesus. Now, remember, we're, we're gonna dispel the rapture a little bit. So 1 Thessalonians, uh, rapture people love this scripture, right? 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, let me read this for you. Uh, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, um, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope, okay? Because they're going through a difficult time, tribulations, people are dying. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So my relative has died. What's gonna happen if Jesus has already come back? How is this going to, how is this going to um, bridge? And he says, hey, listen, Jesus has not come back. He's going to bring back everyone who's fallen asleep, who's dead. Now, don't you love that? For this, we declare to you by word from the, yeah, that, who, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend. Notice from where? Heaven, with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Um, In other words, there's going to be a resurrection and then those who are alive, who are left, next verse, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Whoa, rapture, QN, Nicolas Cage, left behind series. Woo, let's make millions, right? Um, Sounds like a good plan? Yeah, I thought so too. Um, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord. Okay. All right. Sounds like the rapture. Except for when you go into 2 Thessalonians and Paul begins to further explain what he meant by the second coming, second coming of Jesus because the Thessalonian church is confused. Are we doing okay? You guys with me? You're still here? Yeah? All right. So context, they stop working. And so Paul wants to reintroduce and, uh, and explain the second coming of Jesus, that it's not already happened. He's gonna go into more detail that, hey, just because Jesus is coming back doesn't mean you begin to live an idle life and the rest of it. So Second uh, Thessalonians, let's read from uh, chapter two, verse one to 12. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus. Now, 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 now. Okay, here's what I want you to see. Um, Paul is going to use the same language as Jesus in Matthew 24. In fact, he uses four identical words that Jesus uses and probably some more. Uh, Now concerning the coming of our Lord, that's word number one. That's the same word, the coming. When Jesus says in Matthew 24, now concerning the coming of the son of the man, same word here, okay? Um, Coming of our Lord, uh, Jesus Christ and our being gathered together. So remember, uh, in the last letter, he says, hey, we're gonna gather together with the Lord. We're gonna be caught up in the air. We're gonna gather together. Same word here. 
and also the same word in Matthew 24, where Jesus says, and he will gather the elect from the four winds of the earth. Same word, right? It's almost as if Paul was there, but he wasn't, but Jesus taught him. That's cool. Okay. Are being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers and sisters, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Same word. Matthew 24, verse six, Jesus says, hey, I'm telling you these things beforehand so that you're not alarmed. Same word. Or or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect of the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you. Same idea out of Matthew 24. See to it that no one leads you astray. For that day will not come unless, watch this, the rebellion comes first, okay? And the son or, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So two things Paul says must happen before the coming of Jesus. Number one, there is going to be a rebellion. And number two, the son of man or the son of lawlessness is going to be revealed, So go back to Matthew 24. Jesus says, during that time, many will fall away. Many are going to hate one another. They're going to betray one another. In other words, there's going to be a rebellion. And this rebellion uh, cannot be be confused with the ups and downs of Christians throughout church history. Paul is saying this is going to be something catastrophic. This is going to be something serious. There is going to be a rebellion that's going to come. And so people, and Jesus says in Matthew 24, people are going to fall away. They're going to betray each other. They're going to hate one another. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Oh, I wonder where, I wonder where Paul got that term. Jesus says, and then lawlessness will increase. Paul is using the same language and the same exact words that Jesus used in Matthew 24. So how do we know, right? The telescopic nature of Jesus' prophetic teaching. How do we know what age is he talking about? Right here. That's, that's how we know. And so the laws, the, the lawless, the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed. Now watch this. He is the son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now watch what he says in verse five, okay? Um, Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? Now, if you read Acts chapter 17, you'll know that, that Paul was in Thessalonica for maybe a couple of weeks. And so he's saying in those couple of weeks, clearly Paul taught them regarding the lawless one. The lawless, uh, the the man of lawlessness, clearly he's saying, I I taught you this. And so notice, Paul is doing something very interesting. He's, He's going into enough detail for them to spark their memory, but he's not going into so much detail because he's already had this conversation with them. Okay? Now watch this. Paul has revealed this to them, God in his wisdom has concealed it from us. I need you to catch that. Okay? 
He revealed it to them. He didn't reveal it to us. Right? Now I know you're itching because you're like, you're like, I want to know. Right? I, I want to know. I got to know these things. And the reality is in God's wisdom, God has concealed these things. Why? Uh, because he thought so to do. He, he thought to do so. Right? And if it was not for your benefit, then God having done that would not be wise. I want you to, I want you to think of that for a second. If it wasn't for your benefit that he concealed it, it means God is unwise. And so the conclusion we have to come to, because we know God is wise, is that it is for our benefit that he concealed it. That he revealed certain things to the apostles that he did not reveal in his sovereign word. Right? And here's the crazy part. Um, You don't need to know. You don't need to know. For the Bible says you've been given everything you need to live a life of godliness. Whoa. Okay. Do you not remember that I was still with you? I told these things, verse six, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. So, something is restraining the man of lawlessness right now. And God has a time for him to be revealed. That time isn't now. God has a time for him to be revealed. Uh, For the mystery of lawlessness, now this is interesting, is what? Already at Work. So remember I told you there, there is this telescopic nature, again, right, of this age and the age to come. There is an overlap. The kingdom is here, but the kingdom is coming. So just like that, he's saying, hey, listen, there is lawlessness, but the lawless one is coming. If you go read um, uh, first, first John 2.18, 1 John 2.18, John says, hey, uh, many antichrists have been revealed, but the antichrist will be revealed. What? And so he says this, only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And when the, lawlessness, when the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. By what? Let's, again, one more time together. By what? The appearance of his coming. Okay, let's go back for a moment in our minds, not on the screen, in our, in our minds, go back to the previous chapter, right? And when he comes, we will meet with him, right? In the air. Yeah, you know that word is only used twice and the two times it's used in the New Testament has to do with meeting someone, okay? To help usher them in. It does not exist to to meet someone and then to go away with them. Got really quiet because you're like, man, I was really banking on the rapture. I'm so sorry. Right? So that's number one. That's problem number one, why the rapture is... Problem number two, Jesus says he's going to come deal with the lawless one at the appearance of his coming. So here's a question for you. If Jesus, not who, he, not, who he, not who he is, that's not the question. The question is, 
question is, if meeting him in the air has to do with the rapture and being taken out before the tribulation, then that means you're going up and Jesus is coming down. Because Jesus, Paul is saying, no, no, when Jesus comes, he's gonna come down and deal with the lawless one. Right? So guess what? We're gonna welcome him in the air with all the saints and the resurrected ones. And then he's going to come down and he is going to kill the lawless one. Um, So that means you better take your discipleship serious. Because there is no escape route. You cannot pull the fire alarm during the midst of tribulation and be taken out. I don't know. A God is going to allow you to be preserved. Okay, now, does that make sense? Are you with me? Right? Here's why the rapture doesn't make sense. Just explained it. Here's why 1 Thessalonians chapter four isn't talking about the rapture. You guys with me so far? Okay, I just, I just wanna make sure because I don't want there to be too much confusion. Um, now, verse nine, watch this. The coming of the lawlessness, the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Notice, with all power. Isn't that a fascinating word? That's something that's usually reserved not for man, but for God. All power and false signs and wonders. Now, the correct um, translation of this in in the Greek would be um, with all power and signs and wonders of falsehood. So when you read this, you see false signs and wonders. It makes you think that these aren't real signs and wonders, that they're, they're false in the sense that they're, they're, it's just trickery. Um, and, and that's not the case. And the, the, the better translation would be um, false. Uh, the better translation would be signs and wonders for to serve falsehood. So the lawless one is going to perform with all power signs and wonders that are going to lead people to falsehood. That's the correct understanding of that verse. Okay, Jesus said, many will come on that day to me say, hey, I prophesied in your name. I did many signs in your name. I did many miracles in your name. He goes, I don't know you. I don't know you. Um, If you had power, it wasn't mine. Now, now, I want you to catch this. The devil also does miracles. Okay? So for those of you who have a lifestyle where you are determined to be led by signs and wonders, get a better foundation. That is a shaky foundation. That's a shaky foundation. Right? Because the devil can perform miracles and wonders and signs. Right? Go back into the book of Deuteronomy. The word of the Lord warns people, hey, listen, if, if a prophet rises among you and he wants to lead you to other gods away from Yahweh and he prophesies and what he says comes true, don't listen. But it came true. Don't listen. And so if, if you are going to live a life 
where you are gonna be led by signs and wonders, um, eventually you're gonna be led by him. Eventually you're going to be led by the lawless one if that is your aim. So church, get a better foundation. That's why this whole thing starts with, hey, heaven and earth are gonna pass away. My words, they won't. Okay, let's continue. Here's what he says. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love. Now remember, Jesus says lawlessness is gonna increase and what's gonna happen? Love is going to grow cold. So you see how Paul is using, he's helping us understand Matthew 24. Do you see that? They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but watch this, had pleasure in unrighteousness. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so you see um, the explanation. We understand that yes, the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, and we're done. Um, have to do with the time that the disciples were alive and they touch even the period of the Jewish war and the destruction of the temple, but then they overlap into church history. And yet still we experience some of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Matthew 24 in our day and time. Hello? And we are going to see the total fulfillment of that in the age to come. How you doing? It's a lot. It is, right? Um, so what does that leave us with? A bunch of knowledge, right? Um, it's about his coming. Um, what do we do? I want you to notice where Paul ends this, right? Um, this is the point. This is the root of the problem. The root of the problem on that day, church, is, is not going to be um, do I have conviction? Conviction is very important. It's incredibly important. You and I are called to be people of conviction. We are to allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. The question on that day is not even going to be, hey, how many hours did you serve in the church? The question on that day will not be, uh, Pastor Moses, how many sermons did you preach? root of the problem, let's throw that last scripture back up, please, is going to be this. That they are going to perish because they refused to love and they had pleasure in unrighteousness. That is the root of the problem. What's going to matter in the end is this. What 
do you ultimately find pleasure in? What do you find pleasure in? They're going to perish because they refuse to love. That's, that's an emotion. It's not going to be the, the contents of the information you stuffed in your brain. It's going to be about, do you love the truth? Or do you find pleasure in unrighteousness? It's, it's not an intellectual battle. It's an emotional battle. Those who will not be saved at the end will be those who say, hey, this feels better. Unrighteousness feels better than the truth. It feels, it feels better. People will feel pleasure in unrighteousness and not the truth and so they will perish. Which means the opposite of finding pleasure in unrighteousness is to love the truth. And the opposite of loving the truth is finding pleasure in unrighteousness. And so at the end of it, here's what's gonna matter. Do you find pleasure in him? Or does your pleasures in unrighteousness, hey, this sin feels good. To lead myself feels good. To chase my own independency feels good. At the end of the day, it was going to be a battle over feeling. Uh, conviction is incredibly important. But the best kind of conviction is rooted in love, not duty. The best kind of conviction is grounded in love. Right? It's, it's not the husband who says to his wife, hey, I didn't cheat on you because it's my duty. That's not the husband that makes his wife feel like a gem. But the husband that says, hey, I didn't cheat on you because I love you above everything else. That's the husband that makes his wife feel like a gem that makes his wife feel treasured. Hey, I did not do this out of duty. If I hang on till the end, it was not because I am a man of great conviction, but I don't know who else to love but Jesus. And that's the thing that's going to sustain you. That's the thing that's going to sustain you, church. Feed your love for him. Feed it. Feed your love for him. Do not be swayed by the words of men and women. Feed your love for him and let the love of unrighteousness, let that 
love, that impure love. Let that love draw cold and the agape love for the Lord, let that burn hotter and brighter. Are you with me? Well, Father, we thank you so much. God, for these moments we could share in your presence, we thank you that you have spoken. Lord, your word is eternal. Help us to cherish it, to love it, to treasure treasure it above everything else. And God, to stay close to it. God, I pray for myself and those under the sound of my voice. Holy Spirit, increase our love. Let it be pure. Let it be undivided. Let it be without distraction. Let it be led by you. And so God, we know that we are going to go through times of tribulation. And yet we know that you are close with us and you have promised your return. And with your return, you have promised victory. And so no matter what the days look like today, tomorrow, the weeks, the months, the years to come. We know what is promised is victory. So I thank you for that. We bless your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.